0: This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project that features artists and arts professionals discussing their work, ideas, and lives, offering listeners a forthright and unique understanding about the process, experiences, and people behind the artistic pursuit. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, long form, and unscripted. Deep Color is independently produced and a free resource. Please consider making a donation through the support page at deepcolorpodcast.com. Your continued belief and support in this project is incredibly important, and I thank you for your generosity. This episode profiles Joshua Abelow. Josh makes oil paintings on linen and graphite drawings on paper. His paintings feature a mix of geometric patterns, grids, angular bursts, and stick figures that awkwardly vibrate and wiggle up and through the composition. His drawings rely on immediate line work to depict provocative figures and cartoonish faces, often embellished with satirical text. Other paintings include a reoccurring witch character with the physique of a football player caught in mid-stride. Josh is also the founder and director of Freddy, which is a curatorial project and exhibition space. In his paintings and at Freddy, Josh's ethos are in the foreground, highlighting an interest in how things can connect and disconnect the self as a project and how simple gestures can hold complex ideas we recorded this conversation in a refurbished Methodist church that is home to Freddie Josh's living quarters and his painting studio the church is located in Harris New York about two hours north of New York City yeah, that's fine. That's okay. fine. Cool. you know I, I when I think of your work I think of painting your, your paintings you make your drawings <clears> your, <throat> that you make your writing. I know that writing is important in your practice. Mm-hmm. And I think about Freddie. As, as almost like all these pieces make up one cohesive project in a way, is there connective tissue between all these things? Could you talk about how, how maybe they relate or, or disconnect and connect and maybe even inform each other? I mean, there's uh, a lot of things on that list. Yeah. I or, mean, or yeah, they, they
1: definitely all connect. I mean, the intention is for uh, everything to fall under the umbrella of, you know, ABLO, basically. Right. The self. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I would say that it, it didn't, uh, it wasn't always like that uh, for me. Like I, um, early on, I just really identified as a painter, you know, in the sort of old school uh, person in a room making paintings. And uh, I think as I got, Older, um, I think particularly uh, when I was around 30, um, something kind of clicked, and um, I got—I I think it was really the influence of uh, Bruce Nauman, kind of re- like really uh, getting very interested in Bruce Nauman. I thought he was an interesting artist for me specifically to to be influenced by because he's not a painter. And uh, and I like, specifically, there's this quote, I don't know when it's from, like, the 70s maybe, where he talks about, <clears throat> you know, he was a young artist, and he talks about how he went to his studio and he didn't know what to do, and then he realized that anything that he was doing in the studio was art because he's an artist. And um, that kind of mentality just seemed really um, freeing mm-hmm. to me. and um, And so I just... I don't know, that was sort of like the seed, I guess, for uh, all the things that you mentioned.
0: And I, I think as someone that also makes paintings and drawings, I mean, I, there's kind of a, a straight line to connect those two and how they inform each other. Sometimes I think a painting will come before a drawing. Traditionally, maybe it's the drawing comes first and then the painting. A lot of times the drawing practices its own thing separate from the painting, um, they just happen through the same maker or the same artist, right. but the writing piece, I think is, uh, is, uh, something that's really nice. You've, you've, yeah. you've published books. Yeah. I know you, um, have written essays and stuff like that. Can you, can you, and, and I also like this idea of a visual artist th- that also writes and thinks about words as a way to like add to the v- overall vocabulary.
1: Right. Well, I think one thing that always, uh, sort of irritated me a little bit is, this you know when you're um a, an art student or i guess at any at any age you're you're sort of expected to to do this thing called an artist statement and i writing an artist statement was always very frustrating to me because it felt like restrictive basically yeah. um and i also have the type of personality where as soon as i say one thing i Uh, say something that contradicts it like in the next sentence or something. So uh, writing an artist statement was always very difficult. And I just, and and also not only that, but other people's artist statements always seemed uh, lame to me.
0: Yeah. The kind of formulaic Mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. Uh,
1: Because there's these things that are kind of pre-approved that you're supposed to say. In a certain order. In a certain order. And it all it's very predictable and it's not, um, it's just not super exciting or whatever. So, I think for me, writing um, was a way. Uh, more, it's more um, in in some ways, creative writing um, that I'm interested in, and it's a way to uh, inform the work that I make visually without giving a didactic explanation. And and I think with both my paintings, drawing, you know, whatever it is that I'm working on. I I expect the viewer to do a certain amount of work. Uh I'm not I just I'm not going to do all the work for the person. Right, right. Um, so and and also the one other thing to note is that my mom is a writer and she's a novelist. And so I grew up in a house where um you know reading and writing uh was encouraged.
0: Yeah, I I I like this idea of writing as a way to inform the work but not explain the work.
1: Yeah, I just think it's more um fun more interesting like it, it kind of leaves more to the imagination
0: yeah and i mean that, that's one of the conceits of this project too is is how do you talk about work without explaining it because i don't i don't know that that serves art well it, right it, it's one of these things that is often um inexplicable or or outside of the self and um i like this idea of of, of writing a story or something or a little prose or a little first yeah. person point of view yeah that is, is next, next to the work, yeah. um, that might provide a little bit of context. It's definitions, like words have definitions, right? Visual art often does not. Right.
1: Also, I think language can, can be, um, it's just an interesting thing because you can, you can say one thing but mean something else depending on the way it's delivered, and that was something I was thinking about a lot <clears throat> when I, like, basically when I turned thirty, I left New York and I went to Cranbrook for graduate school, and prior to that um, experience, I, you know, I'd already been painting for like, uh, I mean, outside of college, I'd already been painting f- for eight years, I guess, like pretty much on a daily basis. And um, I'd never painted a word before. And when I got to Cranbrook, it didn't happen immediately, but maybe, I don't know, at some point during the first year, toward the end, really, I just started painting words. Like text Um, paintings. Text paintings, yeah. yeah. Um, And I I got obsessed with painting uh, the words hang me. And I painted hang me, hang me, hang me, over and over and over again. and everybody at school thought I lost my mind, but um, <laughs> you know I, I, that was also sort of uh, it re-energized maybe like a latent interest in writing.
0: Sure, sure, yeah. That's a I remember those hang me pings I feel like yeah. I saw one. Yeah, and there's a lot of like a lot of play in how to read that. You know, I was I mentioned at the sort of describing the the scene of people I'm hanging out with this weekend. So we're at this dinner last night. Yeah, like 20 some odd people more than 50% of them under the age of 16. And I met the, the two of the parents and they, you know, we get into this, so what do you do, da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, uh, or someone says like, you're, I, I heard you're a painter, what do you, what do you paint? And I, I was I, like, I'm usually ready for that because I talk about that in this project, but I was yeah. sort of like, I stumbled. I didn't really like, have my lines. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, that's my setup to ask you, like yeah. when you're in these situations and someone asks you what type of artist you are or what type of paintings you make, what do you say?
1: Yeah. Uh, my go-to answer is always, I just say that I'm an abstract artist, and then that either ends the conversation entirely,
0: <laughs> yeah. or,
1: you know, there's another, I don't know. It's it's one of those questions that's aw- awkward, kind of. When I say that I'm an abstract, the, the folks I'm talking to don't necessarily understand this, but, I, you know, I think when, so, when you say, oh, yeah, I'm an abstract artist, you think, okay, then you produce
0: abstract artworks, yeah. right? You, um, you make Jackson Pollock looking things.
1: Right, or, or you know, add Reinhardt, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But that's, I, I kind of think about it more like I work with abstract concepts or abstract ideas. Um, and they can be, uh, there can be figurative references, there can be references to the world, uh, you know, as we recognize it. And there, yes, there can also be like abstract shapes and forms and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't, I would never say that. Uh, i would to a stranger because yeah. it's just too weird right i, I, I feel don't...
0: like i feel in those situations you sort of have to figure out what the person's experience is around art number one and then you sort of like tailor your response to their level of comfort and what yeah it's like reading reading a person and sort yeah. of because often that that conversation even if it's 10 seconds long yeah. is insufferable yeah right? I,
1: I, for me because now i live in this crazy church have a really good segue out of that. Cause I just say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm an abstract artist and I live in this church, you know? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, then yeah, people yeah. are like, oh,
0: tell me about the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. That's a nice little uh, exit hatch. Well, let's talk about your work. You know, we're, we're, we're in your studio, which is in fact this old church and we'll talk about that <clears throat> down the road. But as I have known your work or have been looking at your work, let's say for the past 10 years, there is, uh, there are a few through lines. Um, and I want to throw those out there and see what you do with them. One of them is it. it there feels like reoccurring motifs or visual themes, um, the grid, um, graphic, edges, figures. Sometimes it's a stick figure. Sometimes it's this running witch. Sometimes it's a reference to Beavis and Butthead, um, and that I feel like that shows up more in the drawings as opposed to the paintings.
1: Yeah, the Beavis and Butthead motif is... Actually, quite new. Yeah, I've only done that's fairly new. A few, okay, uh, drawings mm-hmm. of Beavis and Butthead, okay. which are featured in the show that's up in LA. That's like about to come down, right? But yeah, there is cartoony
0: right. imagery. So cartoons, yeah, I feel like yeah, like the reference to a cartoon is in the work, um, repetition, and that can go back into the geometry or the the patterns that I'm sometimes seeing with the grid or the or the or some of the structure or stuff that you're doing with the picture plane. And then you're interrupting that. I mean, you know, the paintings you have up right now have this sort of explosion or like a kapow star mm-hmm. in the middle of the grid. This one has what we would, I would describe in this context as, as an, as a window or an exit or an entry right in the middle of this big, vast grid. And I, I, That's yeah. a work in progress. It's not done. That'll probably change. Right. This one has the planet earth <laughs> right in the center, which is, I mean, you laugh. It's, it's kind of a <laughs> funny image. It is, right? Well, a, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well
1: it's also funny because I've never um, I've never painted the earth before yeah <laughs> and there it is so I don't really even know what to make of it at this moment yeah, yeah. but uh,
0: but yeah there it is yeah and then some other paintings I can think of in this moment from the past like five years it have text in them or your phone number yeah that was your phone that's your phone number that you've painted correct yeah yeah um, and they range in scale they' some are big some are small I mean there's these storage racks with probably thousands of paintings on them. That was like a very kind of rolling river of a description of, of some of the stuff I'm seeing in here or think about right. when I take in your work. Right. What am I overlooking? What did I forget to mention?
1: Um, I don't know if you forgot to mention anything. Again, I guess I'll just go back to the Cranbrook thing because that was such a... Uh, I, I do get that question a lot. Like, oh, you know, was people will ask if if I... If I had a good experience at graduate school or do I think that they should go to graduate school, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I had a, I, I would say I had an exceptional experience at uh, graduate school um, and it really was the it's, it served in, in many ways as the, f- the things that I was able to sort of figure out conceptually and material materially when I was at Cranbrook mm-hmm. ha- really have served as the architecture for uh, things to come. And, um, and I think it, it was really, it was kind of a combination of this, um, figuring out some material things with oil paint, um, that I felt like prior to that, I'd really struggled with, um, how I wanted to paint. Um, I don't, it's like, uh, I think oil paint in particular is a difficult medium because there's all these, um, chemical properties yeah there's some alchemy yeah yeah and and like you a color might look one way in the tube but then when you put it on the canvas it 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 does something that you don't want it to do and so it's taken me quite I I, you know I I like to have a lot of control um with um the way my paintings look Mm -hmm. um in terms of this just the surfaces of them and and um so I feel like I really struggled for a while with with that, and then I also struggled con- uh, conceptually with like, well, what the hell am I? What the what is my work about? Mm-hmm. And, and whatever. So, um, I guess um, I guess so. What happened was prior to Cranbrook, I, I and I think also having worked at Ross's, and you know, Ross is somebody that produces. Um, he makes small paintings, but uh, you know, he makes a lot of really gigantic paintings. And so I was making, for the most part, large paintings. Um, But when I got to Cranbrook, I I started, I essentially started over from scratch, kind of. Like, I I, I just was like, I'm done with this. Like, I'm done with these bad habits that I've uh, acquired. And I started making small paintings, and I started being also very... um, uh, I sort of emptied out my brain of... Ideas in a way, and I and I just literally would prepare small canvases, <clears throat> and then I would um, apply a thin layer of um, oil paint. Like, a, I would mix like a couple of different colors together, and I would apply a thin layer of paint, and then I would let it dry, and then I would apply another combination of maybe three or four colors over that, and like full
0: wash over the top, yeah, of like color.
1: Wa- very washy, okay. and it would create. Um, a new color that was unpredictable uh-huh. and i kept um i started keeping notes on on this and i uh over time i accumulated like hundreds of these sort of color I, I always called them color codes yeah yeah and um so i acquired all of these books that were like my own personal color codes um and And then there were, and so that was going on in terms of the material, but then conceptually, I was really interested in sort of making this um, kind of self-aware paintings, you know, like the hang me paintings, you know, it's like there's references to suicide, but there's also references to like the painting is speaking, the painting is telling the viewer or telling a person I want to be
0: hung on the wall. It's almost like a little bit of a call for help. Yeah. For the, yeah. P- for the painting as, a, as <clears throat> like an entity itself.
1: Yeah. Um, and then through um, repetition, it became like a scream for help or something like, you know, and I, and I like that the paintings could sort of take on this um, sound like quality. Um, and so that led to more words. And I started painting these um, dumb and easy paintings and that really, that was my, I did a gigantic installation of, uh, these dumb and easy paintings with these very simplified, um, self-portraits that were sort of sexual looking, Uh and the, I think some of the faculty, um, were skeptical, (laughs) I guess, I don't, I don't know, uh, you know, but I, but I sort of got a whole, um, fan, I don't know,
0: I feel like people were just like, what is this guy doing, you
1: know, it really was, um, It was an interesting thing, but, um,
0: it sounds like short wiring. I mean, the, the, the idea in these text paintings. it sounds like, you know, can bridge it back to your writing and and sort of what I was trying to say about definitions. It's almost like you're like shortening the distance in the read of a painting, like Mm -hmm. an artist will have, whether they like it or not, or, you know, whether they acknowledge it or not, or if it's conscious or subconscious, there is some intent in there. With how you want a viewer to, to receive your work, mm-hmm. and you're you're shortening shortening that distance by writing the word on there that they can read and they they know what that if you speak English. There's definitions for that word, and right. so there's like a it seems like there's this urge to communicate directly in a yeah. way. Yeah, that's that's and, that's right on. Yeah, and I can and 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 like I can tie that back into painting, making a painting of your phone number, and it's almost like if you have a question or you want to talk to me about this, <laughs> actually. Call yeah. me, and yeah. we can talk about it. Yeah, and then we can even bridge those back into a group of paintings we made recently that have uh, telephone cords coming out of them, right. as if they're the receiver.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: so there's something about like being direct and and, and like one to one corresponds with that viewer. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm super interested in the communicative cap- capacity of of artworks. I mean, I think that's. Um, you know that's what it's all about really. yeah for sure um and there and, and and actually even though at cranbrook a lot of these ideas start well okay i gotta i'm gonna fuddle this a little bit that's but fine. like but like for example like with the dumb and easy paintings um i really liked that there was this statement like dumb and easy and, and those it, are it, the words that you painted yeah correct? and yeah. it seems to be referring to itself or it could be seen or interpreted as referring to itself so on the one hand, like, yeah, it is dumb and easy to just write dumb and easy. But on the other hand, um, the, col- the combinations of colors that I was using to produce the paintings were not dumb or easy. Like, they, they were, like, after, like, many, many hours of color uh, research. So I like this idea that perhaps the painting was um, fibbing. Yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. Or there yeah. was a certain amount of sarcasm. Perhaps. Yeah, it's like a or, sleight
0: of hand or something with the painting.
1: Yeah, and... Um, And then, and then jumping backwards to the communicating thing back in, well, I guess somewhat not too long after 9-11 happened, I was living um, and working in on the ground floor. I was working in the old mud club space at 77 White Street. And um, there, you know, so that's where I was when 9-11 happened. And you know we don't need to go into all that but it was you know that was obviously a, a momentous time in new york for everyone in the world and um, i got obsessed absolutely obsessed with watching the news all the time watching cnn and i would keep the um, i would keep the tv i had a tv in my studio and i would just work and have the news going in the background
0: and that sounds stressful it, yeah. <laughs> or un, definitely unsettling well
1: i think what happened was but, but before that event i I was kind of, in certain ways, maybe more naive as an artist. Like I was making my work, and I wasn't really thinking a whole lot about like, well, how does my work, um, what does my work say about the world, or how does my work uh, communicate with the world, or something. And after 9/11, and especially living and working in such close proximity to the event, it was all I could think about, and I was glued to the TV, and that's when. It didn't happen instantaneously, but uh, you know, over a, a couple of months, because I, f- I really felt like I didn't know what to make. I, I felt completely stifled. I felt like anything that I would make would just be completely pointless. Mm-hmm. And over time, I started making these little paintings um, that had um, uh, turned up highways and these little beakers, and then on top of the beakers were either flags or television screens. And to me, and even all these years later, those paintings still have this specificity about them, and yet they remain completely abstract. You can't really say exactly what they're about. Um, So I think that's something that I'm really interested in is creating a specific, an image with a lot of specificity, and yet the
0: meaning is open. Yeah, kind of like could unfold a couple different ways. Yeah. And I, and, and
1: I made a drawing, um, around that same time too, in 2003, that's, um, a line drawing of, it's a self portrait. And then, um, coming out of the top of my head is a, is a television. And I think I was thinking a lot about, and this idea, I think really, I mean, I think about it pretty much every damn day. Um, just cause it's kind of come to be this way where at the time I was thinking about, um, artists i was you know i was using myself as the like artist figure and i was thinking about um how that's kind of what artists are we're we're trans we're receivers of information and then we like internalize it and then we um send it out into the world Yeah, reinterpret Uh, it then send it out yeah we interpret it and send it out and like and now with um you know all the technology that exists today that's sort of Like every human being who has access to an iPhone or the internet or whatever, we are our own little branding, um, media stations. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some people I feel can manage that other people like melts them.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, sometimes I think I'm the former, (laughs) but uh, anyways, um, you know, maybe we could talk we could we could bridge back into process a little bit you talked about these layers of the layers of paint that you're putting in and yeah and and like building up these these tones that you you weren't expecting it sort of feels like you just sit down and make these is there is there some sort of plan going into them do you know what you're going to kind of do as you're sort of stretching that canvas or do you have little drawings that you have nearby or do you just sit down and go
1: um It's sort of a combination of things. I I typically will work on a lot of paintings um, at the same time. Yeah, you
0: probably have at least a dozen up right now.
1: Yeah. Um, I like Um. to work on a lot at the same time because I think work, for me anyway, making work generates more work. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I like to have a whole bunch of stuff going on. And in a funny way, I'm segwaying again out into something else, but in a funny way... um, I think that has also led to my interest in curating or organizing because I make a lot of art, but I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't want to share everything I make with the world. Um, So then it becomes the emphasis is shifted from um, the individual paintings or drawings into more of a curatorial selection of, of how are these things going to fit together to tell the story that I want to tell
0: right right um so it sounds like an archive you're making an archive for yourself we talked about archives before we hit record yeah and it sounds like i like this idea of making the stuff not everything gets shown or is made to be shown it's more of this archive of this moment in time where josh avlo the painter made these marks and then gets filed away i mean there's sort of evidence of that around and behind this wall
1: well i just think that there can be a little bit of a interpretation of what I do in the sense that I think people think of me as someone who produces a lot of art, um, which is not wrong. (laughs) However, um, it's, it's sort of like if you're writing a novel, let's say the novel that you're writing before it's been edited is, you know, 800 pages. Yeah. The, the book that gets published is maybe going to be 250 to 300 pages. Yeah. And that's how I, that's how I operate in the studio I, sure. I, I make things so in other words some areas of my studio I'm, I'm sort of in the dark so to speak trial and error like I really kind of like with this painting of the earth here like I, I think this painting is going to work out mm-hmm. but it's really a, an instance where I'm sort of going into I'm trying something that I've never I've never painted the earth before yeah um, now there's other paintings that I make where I, I really have a very clear, uh, like a very precise, clear idea of what it's gonna look like uh, before I make it. And it's really a, a matter of executing right, the Right, just executing it, yeah. Um, which is its own challenge because it takes, um, uh, to, to have an idea and then to execute it uh, without changing it, um, I think, uh, it's more difficult than some folks might imagine it to be, uh, yeah. especially with art, because uh, usually when you sit down and you start, you know, you think the thing's going to go in one direction and it goes in another direction. And that, and sometimes my work has that quality as well. Yeah. Um, so I sort of like to work in, in a variety of ways at once.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I've said before, it takes me 10 paintings to make two good ones. So right. it's just, you know, it's part of the part of the process for me as well. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I sometimes think about uh, uh, in the studio or is, is audience. Um, who's going to see these paintings? And this is going back to like what what you feel like is yours and d- it doesn't need to leave the studio. It's sort of part of that personal archive and, and, and what might leave. And then you're thinking about what their judgment will be on that work. Are, do voices of certain people or certain audiences or demons, even, for that matter, come up wh- while you're in here working? What sort of voices are you hearing?
1: <laughs>
0: I'm hearing all the voices of my dead neighbors <laughs> yeah. in the backyard. But you know uh, what I mean, right? Like, like, <laughs> like sometimes, a, like, a choice will be made because I, th- I think, like, a painter that I am friends with would, would support it, right? Mm-hmm. Or I, th- I make a choice where, like, well, you know, the dimension of that, I think, is more sellable Right. If it's a if it's X instead of Y, and that's like a voice that right. I don't necessarily want to hear sometimes. Right. I mean, that's that's the that's the maybe the clarifying yeah. way of thinking about the yeah. voices question. Or is it pure in here? You you're I, like I, you're I, pretty straight. Honestly,
1: on. I keep it pretty pure in here. I think I um I don't um I don't overthink that stuff. Uh, Good. Yeah. Good. That's I mean, something I wrestle with for better or for worse, I suppose. But yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I just try to. I really try to empty out, I mean, and it's one of the benefits of having this place where I live and work in the middle of nowhere, because um, all those voices that you hear, uh, sort of, if you're working in New York City, <laughs> they tend to sort of fade away, and you can kind of get into a zone or a place where you hear your own voice. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what I
0: really try to do. Yeah, that's nice we could tie that back to the, the project of the self. Let's talk about Freddy. Okay. Freddy is an exhibition space that you uh, founded and managed that began in Baltimore. Yeah. Three years ago? Four years ago? Five years five ago. Five years ago. First, I know it's it's on the record, but let's talk about the name. Why Freddy? Yeah. Freddy, uh, Freddie, <clears throat> uh, there's
1: two parts to it, but... Um, the first most obvious is that it's named after Freddy Krueger and I suppose, well, there's a few different reasons why, um, Freddy gallery, uh, it was a way for me to segue out of doing the blog that I'd been doing, right. um, for five years. And I guess what happened was I was, I'd been doing the blog for five years. I was completely, um, tired of doing it um for a variety of reasons and i felt that i had become somewhat of like a. I i became almost like too approachable like everybody was hitting me up all over the place for me to come to their studio or for whatever you they, know? they wanted
0: you to feature them on the blog yeah i mean yeah.
1: even i mean the amazing thing one thing that was really interesting is like when i started the blog i it was just a shot in the dark. I mean, I wasn't even in New York. I was living in Maryland at the time, and I wasn't really exhibiting my work yet, um, not in any, like, regular, like, you know, maybe a, some RISD peers knew who sure. I was or whatever, but, like, I wasn't, like, a, a a name on the scene or anything, and I just started the blog to to sort of to just see if what would happen if i just pummeled the internet with yeah with stuff <laughs> another project <laughs> yeah yeah and, and,
0: and a little more context the name of the blog was art blog art blog right so and, and it, w- for it was for listeners yeah yeah
1: and it w- i started it in march of 2010 and i and i programmed the hell out of it and uh approached it like a visual radio show that was sort of my um my idea behind it right and, um, and when I f- ended the blog, there were more than 13,000 posts on it and, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was, it was great. But anyway, I was sick of it. And, um, another thing that came up is that people would often say, wow, like Josh, you, you love so much art. And, and, and that also not to say that that's not true. I do. I love, a, I, I'm not one, somebody that only likes one type of art. I like, a, I do like a lot of different kinds of art. I did feel like the blog was more it wasn't it wasn't like I love this I love this I love this it was more like I'm bearing witness to this I'm I'm sort of marking this time mm-hmm. in the in the art world another archive and in the, yeah and so with Freddie it was a way for me to kind of take what I learned from from looking at art obsessively for for five years and do something that was a little that was much more focused and um and I used Freddie as an alter ego um, as a way to, uh, well, originally, I mean, I had, and I planned on just having the gallery be completely anonymous. It was just going to be Freddie and nobody was really going to know who was doing it. I felt
0: like it, it felt like that in the beginning. Yeah. It, it sort of was removed from you. Yeah, and I uh-huh.
1: wanted it to be mysterious and, and sort of.
0: Um, There wasn't that much info on the on the website. Yeah, just like the name Freddy. Yeah, and then the show. Yeah, maybe maybe something that resembled a press release. Um,
1: There's a there's if you go to the info page on the website, um, it hasn't changed since I started the gallery, and it's a video clip of Freddy Krueger from the first Nightmare on Elm Street, saying "Come to Freddy." Okay. Um, and you know the whole aesthetic of the of the site is very bare bones. And there's a spinning Freddy Krueger character in the upper left, um, that in some ways is is um, related to my running witch uh,
0: paintings. Yeah, yeah, I want to talk to those. Talk to Um, you about those deeper in the conversation. But
1: yeah, I guess I I was interested in using like sort of a menacing character. I like that Freddy Krueger was also a ready-made. He was he's somebody that's uh, (laughs) obviously fictitious, but hey, everybody knows who Freddy Krueger is. and then the other l- component of it is that Freddy Krueger lives in your dreams. And I anticipated that Freddy, the, the gallery space, would sort of, uh, in terms of the audience, it would live primarily on the internet. And, right. I, and I thought the internet, and I mean, I think the internet is sort of a dream like space. Um, so Freddy seemed like a really good um, avatar
0: yeah. for this. Yeah, it's a good idea.
1: Um, and then also, I'm from Frederick, Maryland. Okay. And, uh,
0: maybe that's what I remember reading somewhere. Yeah. yeah, so yeah okay. My
1: sister and I have referred to Frederick as Freddie for many, many years. Right, right. So there's a little <laughs> biography in there too. Yeah.
0: And then it, it, it lived in and operated and was programmed in Baltimore for a couple of years. Yeah. For, for a year and a half. For a year and a half. Shut it down. And it resurfaced in upstate New York where we, where we sit today. Can you talk about the rationale behind that choice to leave Baltimore and come come to somewhere much more rural?
1: First of all, what brought me down to Baltimore in the first place is that um, the storefront that I rented was unbelievably inexpensive. It was was $300 a month. Yeah, affordability Um, brought you down there. yeah. Yeah, affordability and also a longstanding interest in Baltimore as a site because, like I said, I grew up in Maryland. Baltimore was the city that I went in and out of to take the train or the bus to Providence or New York for years and years and years and years. And my, uh, cousin who I'm very close with went to Micah. And so I spent time, I had, I had a connection to to yeah. the, to the community down there yeah. and it, and I just felt that, um, I was kind of attracted to the d y i attitude of the place. It, it reminded me of Providence, and it just seemed um, I think that sometimes when you spend too much time in new york you can you can feel the weight of this kind of market pressure type thing, and sure it was just a, a way to sort of uh, maintain my positivity my and, and do something in a in a city that was um, just you know outside of of that. Sure, territory.
0: and in an incredible little art scene yeah uh, definitely. maybe I shouldn't even call it little. it's thriving in a lot yeah, of yeah a lot great. of artist run spaces, yeah, I uh, think it's yeah.
1: I don't know what's going on there now, but mm-hmm. um like the block that Freddie was on like uh really uh blossomed during that time. Uh, there was only one or one other gallery on the block when I opened the gallery, and when I left, I think there were like four or five yeah um so it was really it was it was great um yeah. the other reason I went down to Baltimore was also to make. Um, I ended up making the running witch paintings in the in this hay barn uh, out in rural Frederick, Maryland, <clears throat> and um, so it was it was this kind of great moment where I was making these big weird paintings in this hay barn, and then also going to Baltimore uh, a couple times a month and doing the Freddie stuff, and then peppered with a couple of trips to New York, blah blah blah, and I, I kind of maybe rediscovered or that um, that I could make, I guess for me, something that I've done off and on now for quite a while is sometimes I like to exhibit my work in places like New York or LA or, you know, or whatever other major city, Mm -hmm. but sometimes to concentrate, I find it easier or more uh, productive to, to be, outside of that. Um, so Maryland served that purpose for me. Um, Michigan, when I was in graduate school, that served that purpose for me and the place upstate where we are now. Um, it just, it kind of came out of left field to to some extent. Um, uh, Ross, uh, actually, uh, his assistant emailed me. Yeah. He emailed me and was just like, Hey, Because I was I was looking at properties in Baltimore. I was just thinking about like I knew I wanted to get buy something, but I could you know my my budget was not uh, that big. So I was thinking about Baltimore, and I wasn't really finding anything. And I wasn't really I didn't really want to stay in Baltimore anyway. So when Ross's assistant Nathan sent me this this uh, property listing, I thought, hmm, that looks interesting. Maybe I'll go up and check it out. Mm -hmm. And came up here, and it was just like. This is it. Like I, I just loved it right away. I just loved it.
0: Right. And and I'll describe it for listeners real quick. We're sitting in an old Methodist church that is now the Freddie Gallery. You also live here. You also have a studio space here. We're in your studio, which is where the main where all the pews used to be and the and the, uh, the congregation would sit and listen to a preacher up front, but it's been all cleared out you've got your your folding tables with oil paints and brushes and we sort of talked before we turned on the mics about studio organization and being efficient and smart and how you set things up that definitely reads through there's a stack of maybe a hundred small canvases in progress right there you've got some of your work on the walls ceilings are very high i mean it feels cavernous in here i guess that's the word i'm looking for cavernous um
1: it's also cold in here like a cave yeah yeah well we turned the (laughs) heater off
0: so it's not blaring in the microphone but um uh uh yeah and and you you shared this story i think might be nice to include in this um conversation when i first got here about how when people come to openings here they they walk through your studio through your bedroom down into the gallery space so it's connecting back to Freddie as this entity that lives in your dreams, there's sort of a transition that has to take place with how you enter the space. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. You have to, um, or that, you know, there, there is a, there, yeah. That people enter through the bedroom is, um, is cool.
0: I understand the, the, the solitude and the the ability to focus within that solitude. Do you get lonely here? Is it, do you feel isolated? I do. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, how do you, I mean, that's a setup for me to like, how how do you, how do you negotiate that?
1: Um, I guess one thing is I, I'm, and I mentioned this earlier when we were not recording, but, um, I'm very, I think having a a very uh, specific routine when I'm here helps me, uh, deal with it, you know? Um, I have these very specific routines that I do, which, you know, aren't that exciting, but it basically, it just involves, um, you know, I eat steel cut oatmeal every single morning. I have, you know, three cups of coffee. I go to the, there's a gym um, like five miles down the road where I go uh, and run on the treadmill and do some other exercises. And, and, and it all is uh, in service to having optimum energy when I'm, in the studio which i usually am in the studio i mean i live here but i'm also Mm -hmm. actively uh you typically i'm actively making work or or preparing to make work um every day that i'm here um and i spend quite a lot of time here so it just i think staying busy is what staying focused in the studio and you know also having you know looking at instagram you know all the things that people do to stay connected but um and then Traveling, you know, um, traveling, whether it's New York City or whether it's, you know, if there's an exhibition opportunity that I have, I will almost always go if I can,
0: you know, if I can, if I can. Um, You're you're about two hours away from New York City. Yeah. So it's it's not, it's not crazy. It's not bad. It's 90
1: miles, you know, depending on traffic, Mm -hmm. you, you know, it's about two hours. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I like this idea of routine and ritual. Like, ritual falls in there, too. Yeah. And maybe even how those connect to mental health and staying, like, not going crazy being alone in a church yeah. converted into a gallery space and a yeah. painting studio. It's, know, it's challenging. In a rural I mean, it, part of upstate New York. Yeah,
1: it, has, it was, especially in the beginning, it was somewhat challenging to, to make that... Um, Um, to make that transition because also when I first moved here, there was no, you know, a lot of the renovations that have happened on the space to make it look the way it looks now were happening uh, while I was also living and making art here. So, uh, you know, there would be a crew of guys hammering and sawing and and it was it was kind of difficult. Honestly, and you're over there
0: in your flip flops making paintings. Yeah, and, the, and everybody's <laughs> like, "What the hell? Who is this guy? <laughs> yeah, What's yeah. he doing here?" Yeah, um, you know, maybe can you briefly de- describe if there is one your curatorial vision for Freddie and like what you what types of shows you want to try yeah. and put on yeah. or have historically put on?
1: Yeah, um, I guess um, like I said, Freddie's been around five years now, <clears throat> and I've, I've presented. I think about 40 shows. Um, And for the most part, I've tried to show art art that you're most likely not going to see anywhere else, you know? Right.
0: Um, It's it's a lot of um, undershown artists. Yeah. Or people that we're just not familiar with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And for me... um, even the even calling it a gallery uh, in my mind is somewhat misleading because it's not. I think gallery implies a place of commerce. Yeah,
0: there's stuff like there's <laughs> there's money trading hands. Yeah. yeah,
1: and and not to say that I mean there have been um, there ha- there has been that aspect to the project, but it's not really. It's certainly not the primary focus sure. or concern sure. or even something that I remotely think about when I'm deter- like when I'm choosing what I want to show. Um, I show work that um, in certain ways it's work that not that I wish I made myself but uh, work that kind of speaks to you know there's that there is that Martin Kippenberger quote or something where he's talking about um, showing other people's art in his exhibitions and 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 so it's it's not that exactly, but it, it's some it's related to that. Like sure. I, 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 I It's see.
0: something you're identifying with something, whether it's material or mark on the page or some yeah conceptual approach. Yeah, yeah I get that.
1: I mean, a lot of the work definitely leans toward um, abstract concepts, I guess you mm-hmm. could say. Um, and I've shown um, a lot of older generation artists who. Um, you know, Mayor, you know, I guess a lot of them have had major um, career moments, but for whatever reason, aren't being um, aren't getting the visibility that they might deserve elsewhere. Right. Um, so I feel like if I can sort of um, uh, it's been very exciting to, to show some older artists um, who I think are amazing and introduce that work to a younger audience uh, yeah. because younger people have been responding with um, a lot of enthusiasm for a lot of the work. Um, and, uh, so that, that's a great aspect of the, of the project. And then I've also shown some younger artists, like, um, uh, most recently, um, Abby Lloyd, who lives in Brooklyn, and, uh, she did a really interesting show here this past summer. Um, and, uh, so, yeah, I would say, you know, the focus is on people that are making really interesting work that are a little bit off, either off the radar because they're older or they're off the radar because they're younger and they're just getting started
0: one of the things i like about the freddie project particularly now in this church in harris new york it's this thing that's it's a brick and mortar space with work on the wall that can be viewed if you want to make the effort yeah we are we are we are in a remote area that's not heavily populated um yet it's still here there's the other part of it is how it exists online and Mm -hmm. how That's way more accessible for all the people that are curious about contemporary art. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, that's my long-winded setup to ask you about. Is a brick-and-mortar gallery, are shows still important? Do you think a show can exist online in the way, particularly with younger people and how we're consuming images? Is there always going to be the need for a physical space, even if it's in the middle of the woods of of somewhere?
1: Well, I think as long as people are producing objects that exist in three dimensions, there's going to be a need for a space to exhibit them. Um, But, um, and this is related to your question, um, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, you know, Freddie's Freddie's so great, like, you know, you should do it in the city. Right. And the thing is, is the fact that it's located in this church, here in Harris, New York, is a major component of what maintains my interest. Right. I don't really, New York City needs another art gallery like a hole in the head. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, There should be less galleries uh, and less artists, really. I mean, it's just, it's oversaturated. Um, So I think that people should be more creative with uh, the ways in which they think about um, exhibiting art, um, just generally.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it's part of the contrarian streak in you, too it absolutely
1: is. I mean, I just can't, (laughs) I just, it's just my nature. You know, if everybody's going left, I go right. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I
0: mean, I I really believe in, in, in being in a show physically and going through it. Yeah. Um,
1: I, I think that, um, it's sort of, I have this conversation a lot actually with various friends, but
0: you know, as the
1: world becomes more and more, um, Scrollable. Yeah, like post-biological. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I do wonder about the future of art um, and specifically the future of painting, because especially, you know, I mean, one thing that I have held steadfast to is making oil paintings on linen, which is, it's kind of a strange, I mean, in a way it's kind of a strange thing to hold on to because it has almost zero to do. Uh, I mean, one could argue that it has almost zero to do with like contemporary life. Um, so I think one of the struggles is, or one of my points of interest is how do you make this type of, how do you use this material and make it relevant to, right. Uh, you know, what's going on in the world right now. Right. You know, the other thing that I think is interesting is, uh, you know, there's a little, you know myself, right? Like I I love paintings. I love I love I love the objectness of paintings. Um, any you know I don't love all paintings, but you know the paintings that I like, I, I like to be around them. You know, but but I also uh, do like to consume images of paintings online or in magazines or in books or whatever. And and it's interesting because it, it relates to this Boris Groys. Uh, Thing that I uh, uh, an excerpt from this book called Art Power, where he says that. Um, let's see if I can find it. Oh yeah, H- this is just um, a little excerpt, but it says, "Art dec- documentation is by definition not art; it merely refers to art, and in precisely this way, it makes it clear that art, in this case, is no longer present and immediately visible, but rather absent and hidden."
0: Yeah, that sounds um, like the internet in a way.
1: Yeah. And it's just, it's an, it's a strange, um, you know, um, catch, tw- excuse me, catch 22.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd so. like to believe that they can support each other or find ways to coexist uh, this whole like digital existence and real life physical yeah, existence. Yeah.
1: I think, I think it's not a matter of like this or that more. It's a matter of you know, you can make objects, whether it's painting, sculpture, uh, you know, whatever. And you can extend the narrative of that, of whatever, you know, three-dimensional thing you're making into other areas. Yeah. Um, and I think that's super exciting yeah. and interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's pivot back into your work. You know, we mentioned the running witch paintings. I thought maybe we could talk about those a little bit. Sure, and the the um, you know it's it strikes me as as a symbol of some sort, and and I know within the running witch paintings, there's often an ar- armature painted within it, a- another figure, mm-hmm. sometimes multiple figures, almost like a Russian doll. It's like mm-hmm. these for like these figures inside of figures inside of figures. You briefly touched on the running witch earlier in the conversation, but let's yeah. dive back in.
1: Well, okay, so the running the running figure in general kind of appeared in my work back I think in 2013 um and it was a comment on um not only my own activity with sort of running to keep up with the information flow that I was putting on my art blog yeah but also with just the nature of life nowadays like we're all sort of running to to catch up with you know our lives so to speak mm-hmm. you know i mean the news cycle is 24/7 i mean you know you know you, yeah. know you name it like we're all running um and it can feel like that we're all running and we're never getting a break um you know we're unable to slow down or whatever and so that 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 whole so that was one aspect of it another was um that um kind of i think we touched on this earlier but i sort or i didn't say this exactly but I sort of think of myself as a painter that works almost like somebody who's making mixtapes. You know, oh, like cool. I, I used to make mixtapes when I was uh, in high school and in college. I, I was obsessed. I made a lot of mixtapes. And I remember a friend of mine said something like that, you know, the trick to making a good mixtape is, um, you know, you want to have the the song... The song that follows the preceding song should somehow relate to that song. Set it up or something. Set it uh, up. Yeah. yeah. So it's like this sequence of events, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's kind of how I make paintings. I I think about my paintings serially and in sequences. And so uh, before I made the running figure paintings, I was making, I was pretty focused on these little geometric um, paintings. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to throw in a curveball. You know, I wanted to like
0: break that straight edge. Yeah.
1: I wanted to like throw in like the symbol noise or whatever. Yeah. 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 And um, so that's that's this. So there's this kind of um, there's always this impulse in my work to set up a, a, a certain kind of logic and then disrupt it. That, Interrupt it. That, yeah. That, that's really like the core of, of my thinking to some extent. So anyway, and then the, the Running Witch, um, I was thinking about um, magic, I guess. <laughs> And I was thinking about um, how really good magic, like a magician who, who pulls off an incredible uh, magic trick, it's not actually magic, it's actually like really strategic uh, planning and thinking and um, wit. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it
0: usually took a long time to to set it up. Exactly. go back to the setup.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so there's all this um, hard work that goes on behind the scenes to get this one simple moment of magic. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, uh, in many ways, that's how painting is, at least for me, where you know, the, my paintings also typically read uh, as an immediate image. You know, you, you're getting all the information at once, they're flat. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that they're constructed is actually very slow um, because everything I make is oil paint, and, and in order to not end up with a muddy mess, I have to be like very um, uh, particular about every layer, et cetera. Yeah, it looks like um, you tape
0: off edges too. So there's some, yeah. there's some like process in there for for keeping things organized.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and the running witch paintings were, um, I, I so there was that element to it. And I was also thinking about how I got I got interested in this idea of making a painting that um, was both masculine and feminine.
0: I was going to bring um, up the shape of the witch yeah she, it's is it can we use she uh
1: sure it, yeah or is i mean it, is it just it, a witch it's just it's uh it's it's kind of maybe it's a hermaphrodite witch i mean it's both okay
0: sexist. yeah yes yeah. sometimes it's it's i mean i read it as like a the body is like a brawny football player yes like top heavy yes kind of charging forward um not like the the wizard of oz shape witch there's right. something more powerful about the witch that you're depicting. Yeah. yeah. And that seems important.
1: I, I mean, witches, at, l- at least my understanding of through popular culture is witches are typically female. Yeah. Um, so I thought it would be interesting to to have this figure be both female and male. And I and I thought of that in a way having to do with the way the ways in which we can um construct our own identities. Um, well in real life as well but also on the internet you know mm-hmm. um, how anybody can be anything um, and I thought that was kind of interesting um, yeah and and then kind of uh, um, this was an unexpected uh, kind of stroke of good fortune but um, when I had I had the running witches and I uh, I was working on them down in my barn studio in Maryland and I was getting really excited about the work because it looked very, it looked totally different than anything I produced before that. And I didn't know where I was gonna, I didn't really know where I was gonna show the work, you know, mm-hmm. when I came up to Harris to look at the church, um, like I think a, a, maybe a year after I made those paintings, like I made i made 20 Running Witch paintings and they just sat around uh, and they didn't, you know, I was very careful not to like leak any pictures, like it was kind of just like these things. And um, anyway, long story short, I got up to the church and there was some back and forth as to whether or not I was going to be able to purchase it or not. And um, so I asked the guy who owned the place if I could uh, use the church for one afternoon and install the running witch paintings uh, in here and document it and present it as like a Freddie exhibition. Oh, cool. And um, so he said he agreed and uh, my buddy... Jordan and I drove up here together in a rented U-Haul and, you know, we cleaned up the church, gave a good sweep and a mop and put, put the paintings put up, the paintings up, had a little opening, um, you know, and, um, and it, and it got, uh, it looked, it looked great. Like, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. like the painting, like the witches in the church, like it yeah. just, it just worked.
0: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like uh, kind of a good omen. Yeah. And, th- and then the next step was this place became yours exactly yeah so uh again with the setup yeah yeah very nice you know i often talk about the satisfaction of an artist in this project you know I'm, I'm always curious to hear from artists when we are happy when the artist is happy what they're working towards at what point are they satisfied with the thing we're working on and these are sort of rhetorical questions right they the answers ch- often changes but if i sort of present it to you like that when are you happiest as an artist?
1: I mean, I'm pro. I'm probably happiest when I'm in the studio, surrounded by like fifty paintings that are in progress. Like, yeah, I, that makes me feel very happy. Yeah. Um, and outside of that, you know, you, having an exhibition is generally uh, it, it, there's a lot of anxiety and maybe um, self doubt and. You know, all kinds of negative emotions that come up as well whenever you have an exhibition, or at least when I do. Um,
0: I don't think that's uncommon. That's part of the conundrum of being an artist sometimes.
1: Yeah, it's really strange because you spend, you know, you might spend a couple of years even, you know, making an exhibition and then it happens and then it's over and you're like. Okay. That was my life for two years. And yeah. It's, like, fair, it's I said, it, how do you for an hour? <laughs> it's so anticlimactic. Like you yeah. can't even believe it. Yeah. Um, but it's also one of those things where, you know, you just, it is what it is. I mean, you know, you just get back into it and mm-hmm. make the next show.
0: Yeah. Um, but, but putting that work up, seeing it in a space, all that work. Yeah. That's a great feeling. And, yeah, and you sort of it described is. it when you were teeing yourself up for this space with installing your paintings in the church here. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah, I think also sometimes like having, that a, sounds like a happy spot. Like I just had a show in LA and it was really, um, that was kind of a fun show for me because, um, the, it's an artist run space called, uh, real pain, fine arts. And, uh, first of all, I just like that as a name because.
0: Yeah. It <laughs> goes back into the, <laughs> It, hang me painting yeah 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 all just, of some of the other text paintings you've made yeah it fits yeah. my vibe
1: um <laughs> but also the guy that uh started the gallery um is, a, is an interesting artist named his name is peter harkowick and um i showed his work at Freddie. in fact he he and um, my sister were the first uh two artists to exhibit their work at Freddie back in 2014 um so it's 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 cool sometimes when things kind of, um, come full circle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sounds like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's another part of the Freddie project is, is the sort of connections that you've made through it, uh, socially and professionally and, and and how that's opened doors for you in in some capacity and how that can tie in back to the project of the self and, and how you sort of bleed in and out of these settings, whether it's the Freddie gap, Freddie space. Right. Tried not to use the word yeah. gallery there. Yeah. Um, the studio practice, the writing, the art right. blog, art blog. I, I kind yeah. of, uh,
1: you know, it's funny that you just said, Oh, I tried not to use the word gallery. Cause I was thinking like the word I think I like is like program, like the Freddie program. Yeah. And, and part of one thing I like about it is I kind of, I, this might be a stretch, but it is kind of how I think about it where I kind of feel like I'm a programmer, you know, like I program the gallery I program. I have like my painting program that I'm working on in the studio. I got my, I got like my drawing program. I got my writing program. I got my, you know, my Instagram program. And it kind of it gives me a way to think about um, art that that feels contemporary. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's well said. Uh, yeah,
0: uh, yeah. That's well said. Uh, we're nearing the end. Is there something that I missed or that you wanted to talk about that i didn't ask
1: oh i just one thing that i would like to mention yeah. is uh just like another little highlight of the freddie uh thing is that <clears throat> when i was at cranbrook we, uh let's say this would have been 2007 or 2008 um there was a visiting critic who came his name is joseph wolan i believe it was joseph wolan um and he came into my studio and he was looking at my work and he said, are you familiar with the work of Richard Bosman? And I said, no. And he said, you should check it out. So anyway, so I went to the library and they had some great Richard Bosman catalogs. And, uh, you know, the paintings that I saw were like uh, they were right up my alley, you know, like uh, people falling off ships and people getting attacked by bears and fire. I mean, it was
0: just, what time period was this?
1: This was in the this would have been the early eighties. Okay. Um, I know that Richard studied with both Philip Gustin and Alex okay. Katz. Okay. And his work has that
0: It's funny you're talking about like people falling off boats. I was like, oh it's nineteenth century. Painting. <laughs> no, no, no. It's
1: you know, you, yeah. if you saw it, you'd be like, Oh yeah. Um but anyway, um I was fortunate because flash forward to I think it was just last year yeah it was almost exactly a year ago now um, I did a Richard Bosman show here at, at the church and um, and it was really well received and it, and it was just a pleasure um, to, to sort of go from the student being told to look at someone's work in a book to helping realize like a very successful amazing show of, of this person like ten years later yeah Um, it was awesome.
0: That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Again, the setup. Yeah. The the long setup. Yeah. For the, for the reveal at the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, That's great. Yep. What's on the horizon? I mean, I know you, you just, you have a show up at, in Connecticut at the moment. Yeah. You just had a show in LA recently. Yeah. Maybe it's not even on the calendar. Maybe it's, it's, it's a dream project. Something that you've always wanted to do. Or is there something you're working Um, towards? No, Outside I mean, about any I, of ha- stuff. I
1: have. I mean, I will say that I'm I'm pretty excited about the show in Connecticut um, mm-hmm. because it's a two two person show uh, with uh, myself and a wonderful artist named William King who passed away in 2015. Uh, incredible sculptor, highly recommend you guys check him out. And it's also the first time I've ever shown. Um, Oh, exclusively abstract paintings, um, uh, because I because William King's uh, figures are uh, they're figures, and there is this there's this kind of playful thing happening where it's at least in my mind it's almost as if, you know, some of the simplified figures that I've in the past painted onto an abstract painting to disrupt it, it's like. William King's figures uh, jumped out of my
0: pants, and they're just hanging out stepping in the room. Out. They're kind of boxy. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I, it, and, I can see and that.
1: It's it's a it's an interesting um, effect. If you know, if anybody's able to go there, uh, the show's up through December fourth, um, and then
0: and that's at a college, right? Yeah, the it's, museum. A, it's,
1: it's at. Manchester Community College in Manchester, Connecticut, which is I think it's about two hours from New York. It's it's doable. It's it's not it's it's like outside Hartford. Sure. Sure. Um, in terms of the future, you know, I would really, really like to um, spend more time in Los Angeles. Um, and I would, Southern California. Yeah. I'd like to because, uh, you know, I, I love this place. But the winners here are truly brutal. Mm hmm and so um that's that's my that's kind of my dream is to be able to maybe
0: uh find a
1: way to end up wintering out in sunny california one day there you go
0: hopefully it's not on fire
1: yeah no (laughs) doubt man
0: (laughs) josh it's been 20 years we've i feel like uh have crisscrossed paths at various points but what a treat to sit down in this church in upstate new york around your painting, get to see, get to walk through your bedroom to see Freddie. It's been um, a real joy to learn more about your work and see the space and finally connect after all this back and forth we've been doing. So like. thanks, thanks for participating in this project,
1: Josh. Absolutely. Likewise, Joe. Yeah. It's, it's uh, my pleasure.
0: We've made it to the end. A quick reminder that Deep Color is independently produced and a free resource for listeners. Help support and sustain this project by making a donation online at deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also learn more about each contributing artist, find links to their online portfolios, and access the archive of past recordings. Be sure to share this project within your community and subscribe and rate in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Thanks for listening and check back soon for a new episode.